0: Welcome to the Ohio Adult Allies podcast, where we are developing, inspiring, and empowering youth leaders. Today's topic is history of youth-led programs in Ohio. Today we are talking with Valerie Connolly-Leach.
1: Hi, my name is Valerie Leach. I'm with the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. I have been with the department since 2008, which time I got the honor of starting to oversee some of the youth-led work. My way to this world of prevention and youth-led programs came via the criminal justice system and community-based mental health services, and from my experiences wanting to know what's, what's missing, what's happening, why are we seeing more and more young people in such high need, and I really wanted to explore how we can intervene more early, and then I discovered prevention, and I've been at it 100% ever since. So I'm excited to share this story a little bit today.
0: Molly Stone.
2: I am Molly Stone. I've been at the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services for, gosh, probably 25 years or so. And prior to that, I actually worked in the county and, and led a youth-led group. So I worked with four schools in our in our four districts. In our county, and, and kind of got indoctrinated at that point. And then when I came to the state, you know, that was one of the things that was one of my duties was to oversee the youth led programming and, and how it went across the state. So it's changed a lot, and I'm excited to talk
0: about it today. And your host, Holly Raffle. I'm Holly Raffle from Ohio University's Boinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs. I've been involved in the Ohio Adult Allies Initiative for about the past 10 years or so, but my introduction to youth blood prevention came way before then, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was a young person who participated in some alcohol and drug prevention education that we called peer counseling, where we went into schools as high school students and worked with middle and elementary age students. To get us started, Molly, um, can you tell us a little bit about how youth-led programs in Ohio were initially established?
2: Actually, Ohio was the original uh, youth-led programming. It kind of all began here in Ohio back in 1965. So, back then, you know, there was a group of adults that felt that, you know, they wanted to get some programming together for youth, and um, it was really adult-led, but it was for the youth. So, at that point, there was Ohio Teen Institute, Youth to Youth came along around 1980 or 82, and then um, Pride Youth Programs was also one of the uh, programs back back in the day. Back then, you know, really it focused a lot, as it does today, on you know alcohol and drug education and healthy living. A lot of leadership skills. Really, really was focused on teaching the students or the youth to um, have those leadership skills to go back into their schools and, you know, lead or participate in activities that, drug-free activities. You know, a lot of the, there was weekend events, there was, the big thing was the week-long Ohio Teen Institute, which the department funded for a long time, where adults and youth came together and and it was a great experience. There was adult staff, youth staff, and then participants came in and participated in different educational opportunities, team-building activities, and what we call family groups, which we can talk about that as we as we go through, but those were really focused on team building and, and facilitation type skills. you know, I think back in the, when it first began the the students it, it, like I said it was adult led, and I think that it was really focused on the schools. The youth came together at this state conference, which was the the week-long conference, and they would go back and actually they all met in their regions or their counties, and they would create an action plan for their school um, that they would then go back and implement. One of the interesting things back then too was the, we had county coordinators. So there was a coordinator of youth led in each county of the state. And at that time, the folks that were, um, had the contract to run the Ohio Teen Institute would have county coordinator meetings where we would all come together and talk about what was going on in the different counties. And a lot of the networking and sharing started with people sharing and, and combining counties to do weekend retreats and those kinds of things. And at that point, the the funding for Teen Institute was all from the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, or Department of Alcohol and Drug Addiction Services at that time. And it was mostly federal dollars, maybe some state dollars fit in, but each county got a a small amount of money, and then the state funded the the week-long conference. Youth to Youth has always been the participants pay to attend that conference. It's kind of the same format, adult staff, youth staff, and then participants come, and the adult staff and youth staff work together to plan the activities for the the participants. Pride Youth Programs was a little bit different. Pride Youth Programs was really all about, um, started out Focused on parents, teaching parents how to talk to their kids about um, alcohol and drugs. Um, and then it, it kind of turned into this, say, artsy music, entertainment kind of thing where folks could could, the youth could share their talents. And it's mm-hmm. one of their things that kept them drug free. It ended up being their large conference was really a celebration of everything that they had done throughout the year, and where folks could the youth could come together and celebrate being drug free together. So, um, but I think that's that's pretty good history.
0: Yaller, do you have anything that I forgot? I don't think so. I have a couple of questions from that. Is you mentioned that the money came from the State Department of Drug and Alcohol Addiction Services directly to the county. Um, Where did it go in the county? Was it directly to schools or maybe the um, 317 or Mental Health Recovery Boards? How did that money actually come down and get to the adults who were engaging in these programming? The funds went to the boards and then the board, uh, the Alcohol and
2: Drug Addiction Mental Health Services boards, and then they would contract with a provider and at that provider there would be the county coordinator and they would kind of guide all the activities in the county. Now that County coordinator could be at a school, could be at a community prevention agency. So it just depended on the structure of the county and what they had in place as to where that funding went.
0: And back then did all 88 of Ohio's counties have access to that same funding?
2: Yeah, it was was on a, um, the funding was on a per capita. So a Cleveland, Cuyahoga County may have, you know, they may have gotten $11,000 where a Madison County might have gotten $3,000. So it was just based on population size of youth.
0: So when the adults from whatever provider organization or school, where would they recruit those students from? How did that work? And what types of students did they recruit? Well, a lot of times that the
2: one of the jobs of the county coordinator, because I was the one for our county when I worked back way back in the day, you know, you, you needed to go to those schools and work with a lot of the schools had advisors of the peer-led groups, or you know, one of the groups we had back then was building our lives drug-free. Um, each of our county schools had uh, a group of students that participated in that. So that's kind of where you pulled the students from. But a lot of a lot of the students ended up being the the more leaders in the schools. So it was open to everyone, but you know. It, you had to have your grades up and you had to have, I don't wanna say it was a popularity contest, but it, it could end up that way depending on the school and the advisor mm-hmm. that they had in that, that position. Um, and, and how much they really, you know, recruited the kids, got kids in that needed to be in the program. My job was, I didn't really go and recruit the kids at the schools because I worked with the adults at those schools. Cause we were fortunate that we had advisors at all of our schools. Now I do remember hearing other folks who, you know, on lunch period would go sit in the cafeteria and have signs about the Teen Institute retreat coming up or whatever, where people could come and ask questions and they would recruit that way, but, so that did happen, uh, probably frequently.
0: How big were these groups in each county? How many students or young? I think it depended. There were some that had large groups,
2: and again, I think a lot of it depended on the advisor at the school. You know, some advisors were paid, some were not, Uh, so not that that's always the motivating factor, but that does, you know, it it takes a lot of time when you're working with youth and doing things after school and on the weekends and all of that. I would say the majority of the school groups, 15, 20, the there were some outliers probably that had large groups but they were more probably county groups and they would have you know 60 people 50 people so it just depended on how what their structure looked like and how they got in uh, to my knowledge you know there was not anyone that that wasn't allowed you know there were some questions and you know, discussions around if, if kids had been caught using and all of those kinds of things. But those, I don't know that the state ever had a policy for that. That was up to each individual um, group to determine what they wanted to do. We did have one group. I do remember that one of their more, more popular, more good leader students went to college and did drink and, Uh, the other kids that were still in high school wanted to ostracize them and not allow them to be in the group and, you know, great stigma and all those things. So that was something that they worked through, which was, which was good, because that's the reality of the world. You need to work through those things, but they varied in
0: size. So in the 80s, they had, um, you know, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which became Students Against Drunk Driving, Students Against Destructive Decisions. How did those types of groups fit in with the Teen Institute, Youth to Youth, or Youth Led Prevention groups.
2: Um, it, you know, I'm thinking that those groups—they were there in some schools. That would—that was the only group that existed. So they would be the ones that would be considered the youth-led group, and the county coordinator would invite them to come to the retreats and come to do things. I think it provided an opportunity for all the students to get together. I mean, that was the the best part about the statewide. Conference was students from all over the state coming together and meeting each other and talking about what goes on in their areas and how they're dealing with things and all of that. So having those different groups made it a little bit more diverse as well, but I don't know that, that they were really recognized as youth-led.
0: What type of work did young people engage in as part of these youth-led groups in the early, in the early years?
2: They, they mostly focused in their particular schools. Um, I think they, they worked on um, being leaders in their schools. A lot of them were involved in peer listening or peer leadership groups as well. They, it was very much contained within the school building. I don't know that, I don't believe they did a lot of community work. There were some groups that may have gone out and done you know, face painting at a health fair in the community or those kinds of things, more community service kinds of things maybe. But most of most of what they did was focused in the schools and how they could help educate and make everyone aware of, you know, drug and alcohol prevention and how to live a healthy lifestyle.
0: Where did the historical types of drug prevention activities like Red Ribbon Week or... Prom and graduation, drinking contracts, et cetera. Where did that fit in with this work in the early days? I think
2: some some of the groups probably did that. Um, I know a lot of the groups worked on Red Ribbon Week. They a lot of them distributed red ribbons to the elementary school students. Um, so they were that leadership person. You know, I think the prom promise and all those things were things that, that were at that were supported or promoted. By youth led groups back then. I know some of them even had drug-free pledges and all of those kinds of things. But I, and I I guess when I say that they did their action plan for their school, those were probably all things that were included in their action plan. They would do Red Ribbon or Prom Promise or work with the SAD group to do something. Back in the day, we did, you know, there was a lot of car crashes and Grim Reapers and all those things going on as well science has advanced quite considerably so those things aren't aren't we know now are not effective but but that's that's what we knew and that's what they did so
0: Mm -hmm. oh absolutely i can't believe i was part of a group called peer counseling when none of us were trained counselors right yeah (laughs) yeah that's funny so valerie listening to this rich history of youth led programs do you have any additional questions for molly that 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 kind of
1: spurred or came to your mind? No, no questions. It just really makes me think about how much the work has advanced. The whole premise back then of YouthLed is drug-free, live drug-free, be drug-free. I'm going to be that role model in my school to show that you can do this and live this way and have a great time in high school and be successful and you don't need that in your life. And just how important the core of that is still to this work, but at the same time, just what we have learned through science and prevention, what we've learned from our young people presently in groups, what we've learned from people like Molly who have worked in and have been in groups as well. it It's just really, Massive to think about how these groups have changed and evolved and the type of impact that young people and adult allies are having in their communities and schools right now.
0: So, Valerie, say a little bit more about this evolution because you came in at a time when things were evolving pretty quickly. So, mm-hmm. how have you seen, you know, reflecting on the past and honoring that rich past that Ohio has of youth led prevention that Molly talked about? How do you see it evolving to where we are today in 2020?
1: it was a quick challenge. Um, as I came in to the work back in 2008, we started having a lot of conversations and getting a lot of pressure about evidence-based programs, right? We were at a place where that's what funding needed to go to, and how do we elevate or show the value of youth-led programs in Ohio and the evidence behind them? As to with uh, through the Kasich administration, we received, you know, a huge investment in prevention, which we had never seen the like from um, the state. Most of our dollars, as Molly mentioned, was federal. And we really had to start looking at our, our youth-led programs around Ohio and through partnerships, you know, with Ohio University and Prevention Action Alliance, We started to take a look and evaluate or question what's happening and what we were seeing was so much inconsistency across groups. Data collection varied. We we didn't really see a framework or a basis that solidified the evidence of why these groups are so important and impactful to young people in their environment. So that set us off on a trajectory that we didn't know where it was going. And it was, let's pull all these, these leaders together, those that have been critical to youth-led in Ohio for decades, right, and start having conversations with adults about how they view youth-led. Let's dive into the literature and the science and see what's out there. And then together, not as the state saying, here, do this, but as a collective, as a you know one unified voice, let's develop this. We've started developing this those years ago and to see an evidence-based framework that we were using the strategic prevention framework at the time as like an aha moment, like our young people could be doing this work, right? They could be looking at data, collecting data, analyzing data to determine the real issues within their community. And how do we empower them to do that and develop those knowledge and those skills At the same time, however, we noticed that our adults didn't have those skills. You don't come into this work necessarily having a wealth of knowledge around adolescent development or strategic planning. You know, I didn't throw my entryway into the field. So it was kind of twofold. How do we develop this programming for young people, but how do we really develop and and nurture our adult allies who are so critical to this work? you know, before, I think sometimes they were seen as, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to turn the lights on, unlock the door, let kids hang out and have a good time, right? And we've learned that there's so much more to an adult ally and the impact they not only have on that young person, but the group as a whole. And so we really needed to look at investing in our adults as well as our young people.
0: Mm -hmm. So it seemed like you really had a big change there. And so what did you do to maintain their rich history, but also kind of move the trajectory forward and maybe in a little bit different direction?
1: It was really important to get buy-in from our partners who have been involved for a really long time. Like we really value the experience and expertise of our partners at youth to youth our partners in TI, uh, and we knew that this isn't something that we could do alone and through conversations. And, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. There's lots of resistance, lots of pushback. I mean, we still get that today, even though we're so far into this. But giving everybody a voice and an opportunity to ha- develop this together has really allowed us to maintain that, the core essence of youth-led programs and just bring a whole nother layer of value, I think, to the work mainly because of the buy-in that we got from other adults.
0: Molly, what would you add?
2: I think that Valerie hit the nail on the head with the evidence piece. You know, I think once the department really started looking at, I mean, we started hearing from the federal government, we need to fund evidence-based programming. You know, what outcomes are you getting for these these funds that are being spent on this program? And, and we really had no answers. You know, some of our our... You know, adults would be like, well, but they had a great time. We know it works. And it's like, well, we need more than that. <laughs> so it was a huge opportunity to start really digging in and looking at how do we figure out what these kids are getting out of this program and what, it's, what, what impact it's really happening. I think the other difficult thing was um, getting to that true youth-led, while I, I think I said before it was adult-led, I mean there were youth at the table but it was still adults planning for the youth with maybe the, the youth got to pick out the t-shirt colors maybe or some, you know I mean little pieces but not the meat of doing the strategic planning and, and planning their events that I think was the a huge the huge catalyst in in the transition was the department looking at all the money that was going out to youth led and what were we getting for it and where was the evidence-based piece so that we could show we were getting something for it. Two big things I think that really was the trajectory to move forward and to do something different.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we've heard a lot from Molly about what Youth web looked like in the past. Valerie, can you give us an idea of what Youth web looks like now?
1: Sure. So now you know we've created a space, an opportunity um, adults working with young people in this space to ground their program in the Youth Empowerment Conceptual Framework which I believe was part of other podcast series but we really found that that framework hit every aspect of what we would expect a young person to get out of the program right and it was really a way to guide adults to look at group efficacy you know the community context the individual impact on the students Which is something we've never had um, to really lay out this is what our youth program is, this is what it does, and these are the outcomes. So, if you go to any of these groups who have been engaged in the training academy process, they can show you this is step by step how my program is grounded in science. And then added to that is, well, we've taught adults how to engage young people in data driven strategic planning which was a huge, huge pushback piece, I guess I would say. Uh, I think a lot of adults felt that young people wouldn't be interested. Young people didn't have the skill set. At the same time, I think adults were scared of that work themselves because they hadn't had that experience in collecting data and looking at data. So now we have these pockets around the state where adults are guiding young people through this work and developing you know, these plans where young people are looking at root causes and intervening variables, things that if we brought that up 10 years ago, nobody would have taken a bite of that or wanted to be a part of that, but now, you know, young people tell us constantly how valuable that experience and that work is to impacting those social and political systems within our community, which we weren't talking about those type of issues you know, back in the 80s in either. Um, so that's another evolution, even how we talk about and look at those issues that are important to the young people involved in youth lab programming, right? It's not, it's more than just living a healthy lifestyle. It's how do we create that community level change within my school or my neighborhood that really helps people who may be struggling with mental health issues, helps prevent suicide and substance use and many other issues that are at the forefront of our young people's lives today.
0: So Molly, when in your mind, could you say like, what event happened or where was that tipping point where you're like, oh, this is different than what I was engaged in, right? So <laughs> what was that tipping point for you? when was that realization like, wow, we've made change and it's changed in a positive direction. I think to, for me, it was all around the strategic planning piece. We always said we,
2: we did planning. It just was not strategic planning. We didn't look at data. We didn't, you know, I, I think that was the, the really, the, the piece of this that moved us forward, you know, and, and engaging the youth in that planning. Cause like Valerie said, back, back in the eighties, that, that would not have flown. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have flown for a lot of the adults, let alone the youth. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um,
2: Cause it just wasn't where we were at. And now
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's just such a, um, a need and an understanding of of that data and and using that to move forward with what's going to get you the best outcome and to find out what your needs are for the students. Um, I think the other thing that um, I think Valerie touched on too was the inconsistencies that were in the past. You know, this, this model and this framework grounds everybody in the same, on the same level doesn't mean they don't do different things depending on their needs and their communities, but everybody's doing it a certain way, which I think brings a lot of more legitimacy and, I don't know, solidity, I guess, to this whole process or the whole the whole program.
1: And, and I think part of the evolution too, I know Molly talked about early on where they had like regional coordinators and things like that. You know, we've, we've stayed true to trying to developing that network still today, it looks different, but it was really important, you know, to have a network of youth-led programs. We have the Ohio Youth-led Prevention Network where anybody working with young people can be a part of that and should be a part of that um, because there's so many rich resources and and learning opportunities associated with that network. And as we built that out, however, and started looking at the needs um, for our adult allies and building their work, their development within the workforce, we we've developed the Ohio Adult Allies Network, right? Where we have regional learning communities and all these other learning opportunities where anybody can access at any time to get familiar with the new science, you know, to garner more interest, to see if it's right for them. And it's a great way to bring more people into the fold and learn more about how they can ground their own program in the science. So I think having that networking is critical to all of this as well, for both youth and adults.
0: So what would you say to the listener out there who's sort of youthful program curious, right? I'm really curious about this, and I'm hearing this data, and what would you say to them about, you know, is it worth it to take the next step? What would you say?
1: And I mean, I would say it's absolutely worth worth it, the 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 leap of faith the investment is worth everything there's nothing more powerful than seeing a young person come to the realization that they can truly impact systems within their community there's nothing better than seeing a young person who may not be seen as having a lot of opportunity but really they do and maybe they've been overlooked and see them brought into this space And the impact that can have on that young person individually, because we don't know what all the trauma is that they're experiencing, but how a program like this surrounded by young people who all have the same passion and the same mission to create that change. I, I mean, there's, there's nothing better than that. And as we see with, you know, the climate today, the power of young people, right, and we have this this network in place and your communities can have these amazing groups that really are critical to creating safe and healthy, sustainable systems um, that support mental health and wellness in all people. So yeah, I say go for it and we'll figure out how to fund it and we will help you in any way we can to support maintaining that and valuing young people
2: in the way they need to be valued.
0: Oh, yeah, I see you thinking.
2: You yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, in looking at the the different perspectives, and you know, in the past, gosh, forty years—not that I've been involved for forty years, but it's been around for that long. You know, I think we've talked about how back in the the beginning, it was really focused on be drug free. I'm I'm drug free. Be drug free. Get through school. All of this. I think that it's it's kind of switched now where Kids know more of that. They know that it's good to be healthy and to be drug free. They're they're more thinking about what can I do to help my community? What can I do to look at? You know, when I, when I was their age, I didn't even know what a social determinant of health was. These kids are like doing work that's going to impact that to make the community better for their children. And I, I think it's just not that the other programs weren't good or didn't do good things, it's just so much more structured and guided by science now. It's, it's really, it's just, it's just really great.
0: And what do you see as the role of adults in sort of kind of flipping this script a little bit and looking at youth-led as being a community-based process where young people are part of the community change as opposed to recipients of services that some adults decided that they needed? It's it. very exciting. I mean
2: it's it's you know people always want to do for kids. They want to do for them, do for them, but the good the best thing you can do for them is to teach them to do for themselves. And I think this whole youth-led process is is teaching them that. And I think it's it's going to build so much I don't say well-rounded adults as they move into their careers and move into you know, where they might be when they're 25 and 30 and whatever, um, they're going to have skills and knowledge that they can carry through, not just you're drug-free. And I don't mean to to placate that or make that not important because it is very important. That's part of the education that we do. But the skills that they learn now are are going to be tenfold what it was before.
1: Yeah, and and I also think that switch... Gets us away from tokenism there 's still a lot of that out there. you know well, I have a youth at the table, so i 'm doing youth led programs, and we know that 's not the case right it's that's it 's great to have a young person involved and get feedback, but that 's not the empowerment approach that 's not really giving them a voice and letting them drive the work and do the work. i think it I think getting people to switch is still a challenge. Uh, I think people are uncomfortable with thinking about that level of work. And some folks, it it just may not be for them. They may want to maintain working with young people in the capacity that they are now. We planned some events and that's okay. You know, it may not be for everybody. I want it to be for everybody. I want all young people involved in, you know, some type of youth-led work to be at this level um, because I believe in the power of them but it's okay if that's not where you're at, but hopefully through your journey, you'll end up with us because you know we can't do this alone and we need more adult allies and young people working collectively to truly shift the needle and move the needle on, like Molly said, those social determinants of health in our state. I think young people are critical into addressing those needs as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that comes down to funding. I mean, I at this moment, I would like every every student or every youth to have the opportunity to participate, you know, and, and some adults may want to participate, but there's just not funding for that. I mean, we, we try to come up with as much funding as we can and nickel and dime things together so that we can, you know, move through several cohorts and, and keep this moving forward because, you know, even with the adult ally group, I mean, you know, I, being in the, the discussions with them, I've learned so much. I mean, you just, it's just those, those conversations that you, you get to have that really move you forward. But I think that the youth advocating for youth-led and advocating at the state level and at the federal level, they're getting those skills to be able to do those things. And I think that's what it's going to lead to additional funding at some point. That's, at least that's my hope.
1: Yeah, and I think we're at like a critical junction. I think we've done so much growth and capacity building and infrastructure development, right? But one of the areas I think is still a struggle is for other adults and communities and even at the state level to evaluate value, to find value in youth work. Like youth work in general, not just youth-led programs, but across the board is underfunded, undervalued, just looked at, in in a way that demeans it, I think, at times. So I think we're at a junction where we need to start, start shifting and really focusing on how do we get more adults and more systems to truly value youth work across the board and those youth workers, those adult allies, doing the work with the young people and investing in them, investing in those positions You know, we have adult allies who are part-time or youth-led part of a hundred other responsibilities that Mm -hmm. they have within an organization. So it's not given the time and space that it needs, which makes it really challenging to to facilitate and maintain a group Mm -hmm. that's invested in such critical work, right? So I think we really are at, at a place where we really have to shift and find ways for communities to find more value, invest more money in those adults and those programs so they can be sustained long term.
0: So what additional hopes do you have in the future for youth-led programs?
1: To bring more groups into the fold, more adults and yes. young people into the fold. The, the stronger we are, I mean, the more we have, the stronger we are, right? To have that unified voice uh, around youth-led programs. And I just see this as a model, not only for Ohio and this work, but I can see it in other systems work, adopting this approach and, and these tools and the science behind this for the work that they do, and even nationally. I think what we have is very unique and I'm excited to you know, dive more into evaluating that work, evaluating it locally, and just continuing to help our adult allies be the best they can be, and in turn providing the best programming and opportunities for all young people. Um, I would really like to see more diversity and inclusion in groups across the state. That's always been a challenge that, you know, youth-led is seen, as Molly talked about earlier. You know, it's the good kids, it's the popular kids, and some of that may be true, but what we know about the literature and the science and where this work comes out of, it's really for young people who are at high risk, who had a lot of needs, and they thrived in this type of work. So how do we bring that more to communities who may be at a uh, disadvantage just compared to some of the other communities that are involved in the work?
0: Molly, what would you add for your hopes for the future? Um, my
2: hopes is are, um, you know, more of, a, of an excitement than a hope, I guess, because I, I just, in my gut, it's going to happen. I, I can't wait for some of these youth that have gone through this process to come back and be adult allies. And so then we've come full circle. And it's just that, just a, such a stronger, stronger program. At some point, we are going to get more funding so that we can do more of this work and get people on board. But I'm just really... We've seen it a little bit of, of kids that are in college that are coming back to work in the communities and do some things, but there's been so many. And I think maybe because we, we are so close to it and, and Valerie and I have been involved, Valerie more so than myself, but you know some of these kids. You get to them and then you you know what they've been through, you know where they've gone, and then they're coming back. And they've decided now, that prevention is what they wanna do and they wanna do this adult ally work and they want to work with youth. And I mean, that's just, there's no better, I mean, I'm gonna sound all fuzzy wuzzy, but that's that's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So as we kind of get ready to land this plane here and close out our interview, just take a minute and think about and say, I know, I will know that all of these efforts were worth it. if. Because I know it's hard, like when you're trying to change and you're trying to move the needle and you're introducing new ideas and you are looking at systems change and how systems value young people, that's a lot of work. And thank you for taking that on. But when you look back, the end of your career when they're cutting their retirement cake, I'll know that all of this work (laughs) works when, like, what would you say?
1: when I never have to explain what youth-led is, right? When I say the word, people automatically know what I'm talking about and know the power of young people. I never have to explain or advocate or, you know, I wanted to say beg, but (laughs) for funding and support, (laughs) but it's it's just natural. Communities are naturally investing in this work and we never have to explain why it's so valuable. It's, it's
0: just evident. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Molly, what about you?
2: I, I agree with that. I think that it's, it, you know, when it is a, it's common practice, not piecemealed across the state where, you know, every community is doing it and it's respected and, and funded. And I mean, that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. well I'm really grateful for the time and the walk through history and current and present of youth-led programs and it sounds like the future is bright and we're all here for one reason and that's to empower adults and young people to work together for community change whatever change is needed in their own individual communities so thank you and thank you for your work Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Ohio Adult Allies podcast. You can find more of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play by searching Ohio Adult Allies. Episodes are available at www.ohioadultallies.com.